This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom. Righteously American. Woohoo! Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, interesting. Interesting show we have planned for you today. I hope your Labor Day was fantastic. If you were with us, you uh, got to hear just tons of fun things that we were doing on Labor Day. We were having a great time. Um, but right now, we are actually uh, we're getting ready to do this the show, and we're going to just run through all the craziness that is a part of our world as Americans because we have a lot of freedom, and we're really blessed to have a lot of freedom. But we also, again, we have. We have some crazy folks who are partaking of the freedom and it's, it's crazy pants because y'all remember we, we may have talked about this. I may have posted a picture of a beautiful, really well decked out little miniature ho- a horse. It was a teeny tiny little horse. I mean, if you're a big dog lover, like if you have greyhounds, I have a friend named Karen who has greyhounds. Um, if you have greyhounds like my friend Karen, these are tall dogs, but they're very slender. They're, they're running dogs. So they're, they're racing dogs. They're very, very, very tall and they're large. And if you're used to tiny dogs, these dogs can take you, you know, it can kind of be a little startling at first, but they're gorgeous. And then if you like uh, Great Danes, Labrador Retrievers, those bigger dogs, you probably are used to this sizing issue. But if you are someone who's used to seeing dogs, but maybe not a peacock or a turkey or a horse, because an emotional support pony, a horse or pony, these these horses are tiny when compared to other horses, but they're kind of big when you look at the size of like a, a just a your average everyday size dog. Also, their physical makeup is very different than a dog. And when I, I mean, obviously that goes without saying, but I'm, I'm pointing that out because we're talking about an animal that's built to be ridden on. So it's a much sturdier beast, if you will. Um, not something you would expect to see at the airport, but the TSA has just formalized their rules on what animals can come on board and it's dogs and cats as it always has been. And then the horses. Yes, the horses are a part of this thing. So I want to talk to you guys about that today. Um, huge, huge national story about this woman who's on an American Airlines flight over the holiday with her horse. And a lot of people took video of the horse. The horse actually took a nap mid-flight along with its owner. Um, also, the fact that the horse is kind of out in the open. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into some of the, like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how did the National Transportation and Safety Administration and uh, the the actual uh, Homeland Security, everybody, how did everybody get in on this and feel like a horse in a cabin where all the rest of us are strapped down? And when there's turbulence, you have to be strapped down because turbulence, when it's at its roughest, people have been killed. Um, remember the guy, the OxyClean guy? He was killed during some rough air on a flight. He I'm not sure if he had a seatbelt on or not, but when the plane dropped in altitude, he didn't go down with the plane immediately as, you know, human beings were sitting on the seats. And if you're not strapped to it, if it drops really suddenly, you can bang your head on the bulkhead and he did and he died. So my question is, how do you keep an emotional support horse stabilized so that it doesn't fly? How do you keep a large dog stabilized so it doesn't fly? How And... And how pansified have we gotten as Americans that we can't fly on a plane without an animal? Not not a Xanax. And you know, you guys know I'm I'm not for the pillification of America and everybody being on a pill. But the fact is, they have a pill for that. There's a pill for anxiety on planes. Um, why wouldn't she just take a pill as opposed to this? So. I'm going to talk about that. We're going to talk about suns up, guns up at Popeye's. Uh, y'all know I love a good chicken sandwich. Now, I'm currently slimming on slimming res- regimen, and I'm pretty serious about it, so I'm not eating any fried chicken. 
Um, but I guess it'll someday be a part of what I'm allowed to partake in occasionally. And at that point, I hope that Popeye still has their much vaunted and exciting chicken sandwich. So we're going to discuss um, how some people were told that they'd run out uh, and they went ham. They straight up went to crazy town. So we'll talk about that. And then we have other stuff. We'll, we'll obviously get to some actual political news. Um, but coming out of the holiday, I thought these stories were fun. So first, let's dig into this thing. Are emotional support animals allowed on planes? And this is important for us because, you know, if you're if you're like me and you like to consume a lot of political content and then you have, you know, your Bible studies and your church stuff and you have family, you may have missed the memo that you can bring almost any animal you want onto a plane. All you have to do is have it certified that you need it for emotional support. That's as simple as a doctor's visit or two, maybe three. Um, and then you, yeah, you can get that, that animal on the plane with you. So on this story, this is from 2017. And I want to run down a few of these with you because this is going to be more and more of our reality. And I've not seen any stories where these animals are on the plane and they've, you know, done what all living things do, which is you put food in and food's got to come back out. We haven't seen any cases of that. And the horse that I saw in the picture this morning was not wearing, um, you know, the little, there's a little, there's a little thing you can put on a horse, especially when horses are in parades that keep their, you know, their, their, you know, natural human or natural waste products from going onto the ground. This horse was looking kind of fancy, but did not have one of those things on. I know what they look like. Our daughter used to take horseback riding lessons. So I've seen all the different things that they can do with the horses. And this uh, was not present on this horse. So in this story, the question over at Newsweek is, why are emotional support pigs and animals allowed on board? This guy was not allowed to bring his pig on board. So Daniel Munoz was walking his pig, Gus Freddy, at a park near Mexico City and um, they're they're really these are mini pigs. They look like small fat dogs in a way because they are kind of hairy, but they're actually becoming a pet fashion and status symbol in Mexico City and other cities across the country. And so then there's a story from before from before this story where a woman was flying on a U.S. Airways flight. And she was kicked off with her companion, who was a 300-pound pig. Now, again, please please come with me along on this journey. When does it go from being an emotional support animal to basically it's just you trying to see what you can get away with, right? A 300-pound pig? So we've all been on the plane before with someone who is not aware of personal space. They fixed it so that even if you are a personal space person, which I am, um, you know, where I believe that everyone should have a buffer zone around them where you don't enter into that space. And so, you know, handshaking, the light pat, pat, pat away hug, those are all acceptable, but those are also things to which you've given consent. Um, but the invasion of the personal space where one person just enters your personal space uh, at their will, I'm not down with that. I'm also not down with people, you know, kind of spreading themselves out beyond what their seat is. And I'm especially against... This idea that if you are emotionally unstable, you get to bring a pig on board that weighs 300 pounds. And where does the pig go? Do they buy a seat for the pig? What about my legs? What about my feet? What about my purse and my carry-on luggage? What's happening when you're bringing on that pig? So according to ABC News, in this older story, um, the plane was able to, the, the pig was able to make it onto the plane after the handlers convinced the airline that he was medically necessary and gave them a, what appeared to be a doctor's note. But then when the animal began squealing and walking up and down the aisle, the airline workers were like, you know what, it's causing more distress than comfort and you and your animal have to get off the plane. So you can have a pig, you can have a squirrel, you can have a, one lady showed up with a peacock. Um, there's a picture that you can see. If you look at the picture from the certified service animal the little mini horse, you'll see other stories. And one of the images that accompanies that is someone with an actual turkey. They're sitting on the plane. The person in the seat in front of them has turned around and is peeking between the seat backs. And you can see the turkey staring right at the camera. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a turkey before because they're not domesticated, first of all. Um, 
Have you ever, like, we, we just saw one over the weekend and my daughter ran out, she ran outside to get a picture, didn't get, and didn't get one. That thing evaporated. I don't know how, how it could run so fast. A big, huge one. I mean, really large, just an enormous turkey. It was out in our yard and she saw it out of the kitchen window. Those things, not only can they run, but when they're provoked, they can be quite violent because they have a beak and those horrible feet that they run on. I mean, I'm not against turkeys, but I'm just talking about the realities of this situation. So so here's some details. First of all, there's no legal registry for emotional support animals. Um, the The TSA doesn't actually stop people from getting on with the animals. It's they're looking for terrorist implements, bombs, knives, you know, weapons, whatever. Um, but the, the animals themselves, you can, you can kind of get, get away with getting one past the TSA. That's not the, the, the most difficult part. So the question is, what do they plan to do, um, to kind of protect the rest of us from a very small segment of the population? If you've never been on the plane with one, like I haven't, I've only seen the pictures and I did, I, again, if you go to my Instagram feed, Stacy on the right, you can see, you have to scroll down a ways where I posted about how this little horse was decked out in pink saddle and had, you know, had a little scarf on and all this other stuff. It looks so cute. And I said, I wanted one, not as an emotional support horse, but as like a pet. And of course, my husband's not down. He's not going to be building us a small barn for me to keep a, a tiny horse in. And he's definitely not going to let it live in the house. So I'm never getting one. But that was what I posted on Instagram. Now, these cute little things, it's kind of nice because they're so adorable. But again, how do you make that work on the plane? So let's say you have a hedgehog or a snake or the much vaunted pig. Um, Delta Airlines has already said they're not down with you bringing just anything on. And they are tightening their rules about whether or not you can bring the animal on board with you. They Delta allows cats, dogs, and birds if they're contained in a carrier that fits under the seat and you pay an extra fee. They allow service animals like CNI dogs for disabled people, um, but they're also, I mean, obviously they have to conform to whatever the NTSB says is allowed for people, but they're also looking for, um, you know, vet health forms, immunization records, a doctor's note confirming you need the service animal, and all of that has to be submitted to Delta before, 48 hours before the plane actually takes off. Now, ESAs, don't fall in that category. They're a separate category, but they need a note from their owner's doctor and mental health professional, as well as confirmation of animal training if it's going to be designated an ESA. Now, I think that extra layer of support is really important because I think um, I think it prevents people from just saying, let me see what I can do. Let me make a viral video. Let me get this animal on the plane so I can you know, put it on my Instagram feed, which by the way, the horse that made it on the plane this weekend has an Instagram feed of its own and is quite popular on Instagram. So you can see where this might be something where people are looking for a way to, um, you know, send off their, the, get get on the map as being someone who could get an, any animal they want on a plane. Now, there's a bunch of disability advocates, people who advocate on behalf of disabled Americans who are saying that faking service dogs and exploiting that fact um, is unfair and it, it ruins things for people who really do have a disability and want to take their animal wherever they go, whether it's on a plane or more commonly uh, at a restaurant. You might see someone at a restaurant with a seeing eye dog or something like that. Th- these dogs are needed. They're needed and it's not to be made fun of those types of animals. And so I think there's a huge difference here. And we're talking about trained working animals as opposed to just pets and people are blurring the lines between them and it makes it more difficult for people who have legitimate disabilities who are actually relying on their service animals all the time and trying to bring them wherever they have to go. So uh, I think we need more legislation on it, but isn't this just kind of a sign of the times? We're living in an era where Americans are considered children on their parents' health insurance until they're 26 years old. We are living in an era where a 26-year-old man, it was a, I think he's 24, he still goes to his pediatrician because he likes her and he doesn't want to go to a regular primary care physician. He never transitioned out of her practice and she never made him do it. And so she was quoted in an article saying, 
Sometimes it's odd when I look out into my waiting room from behind the front desk to see what patients are waiting as I go into, uh, you know, another room to see, you know, see, to see the little, the little kids, babies and little kids who come to see her. And she sees a 23 year old man in a full suit. He's got a tie on. He's got a briefcase with him, but he's still her patient. That's the new America that we're leaving for our kids to navigate. Grown men still seeing their pediatric care physician, women with their emotional support horses flying through the cabin. Welcome to America. We'll be back in a minute. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. You took the first step and quit smoking, but even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. First, I hold my hands out like they're on a steering wheel. Then I look over my shoulder. One. Okay, cool guy. Two. Three times. Next. Oh, I put it in reverse. Meep, meep, meep. Then I take it up and down. Up, up, and down. And that, kiddos, is called the forklift. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now that's dancing. Sure beats flossing. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hi, everyone. Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that after 75 years, Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when it's dry or windy. Be careful burning yard waste because wildfires can even start... In your neck of the woods. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Hey, everybody. Rachel Ray here. Nothing brings a bigger smile to my face than cooking up a big meal for the whole family and lots of friends. But there's not enough room at my table for the 17 million kids in our country who struggle with hunger. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks collects surplus food to give hope to hungry kids. But they can't do it without your help. Support Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Welcome back to the program. So good to be with you. Um, so we were just discussing that, obviously, the, the support animals. And speaking of crazy and people running amok and losing their minds, that brings us to our chicken story. So I have to have full disclosure here, guys. Um, I haven't had any Popeye's chicken in, well, I think maybe six months. Um, and I'm not, we don't eat there a lot, but when we do, I always share some, and I, the last time they went, I didn't have any. So um, I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back. Yeah, so last time my husband went, he brought some home. I didn't have any. Um, that's how serious I am about this thing. I should have, like, there should be a whole running segment about just all the different steps I'm taking, the exercises, all that stuff, to try to get um, back 
to my fighting weight. Uh, but we will. We'll, we'll discuss it more later. But speaking of Popeyes, so they have this new chicken sandwich and they are trying their darndest to claw their way back to chicken supremacy because of the just amazing, it's like a groundswell. The Chick-fil-A is like, um, it's like Bruce Lee or, or, or Chuck Norris. The harder you hit it, the stronger it bounces back. It, it can't, there seems to be no, <laughs> no weapon formed against it. It cannot be taken down. The LGBT people are still trying to battle Chick-fil-A and it's, it's like in Star Wars where, uh, Obi-Wan told, he, he told Darth Vader, he said, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can imagine. <laughs> That's how Chick-fil-A is. So Popeyes is trying to claw back and, they have this chicken sandwich. Um, interestingly, you have Chick-fil-A coming out with the mac and cheese, which I still have not tried carbs anyway. Um, and it's gotten a lot of like some people are saying it's everything and other people are like, no, it doesn't have a crust on top. I think it really depends greatly on which Chick-fil-A you actually purchase it from because they have, you know, different cooking methods, even though they're all standardized, you know, standardized Chick-fil-A stores. But Popeye's has this new chicken sandwich and apparently it's big. First of all, it's made out of the Popeye's chicken, which you have to admit Popeye's chicken. It's amazing. I never, you'll never hear me talking bad about it because it's just good chicken. But the Popeye's chicken is Louisiana Cajun chicken. So it's like it's a distant relative of the Chick-fil-A chicken. They're not the same kind of chicken. So if you want a little bit spicier, more heavily breaded chicken chicken, you're going to you know, you're, you're going, you're going to Popeye's. If you want chicken that is nuggets or strips or in a sandwich, like a chicken breast, and you don't want any, any spices or, or anything like that, you want to really taste the flavor of the chicken and light breading, then you're going to Chick-fil-A. If you also want to feel like Bible study has been had in the place where your chicken is purchased, well, Chick-fil-A. Um, if you want to go in the bathroom and have it be just as clean as the bathroom at your house and smell just as nice um, with even a bottle of lotion there. So after you wash your hands, you can put some lotion on Chick-fil-A. OK, so, you know, there are differences in the appearance of the store, even the demeanor of the employees. I mean, no offense to the Popeye's workers, but they don't have um, the Holy Ghost inspired um, my pleasure to serve you attitude. They just don't. You go there and get your chicken and it's good enough for you to put up with what you have to put up with at the Popeye store. So that being said, this is even beyond the pale for people who are maybe obsessed with eating chicken or have a chicken addiction. It, this happened in Houston, Texas. They're searching for a man who pulled a gun on employees at a Popeye's restaurant. And he did it because y'all, he he was mad because they'd run out of the chicken sandwiches. Yes. So they've already burned through what they'd purchased for the entire month of September. All of the stock that they had, the frozen, everything that they had purchased to get them through the month of September, it's already gone because people have responded in such huge droves to this new offering. And Popeye's has surged in popularity because of the introduction of this new chicken sandwich. It's their first nationwide chicken sandwich offering. You know, they had the shrimp po' boys. They've had all kinds of different things, but never an actual chicken sandwich because they always serve their chicken as you find it, you know, in the uh, cut, you know, fresh meat section. You have thighs, you have legs, you have wings, you have chicken breasts. That's how they serve their chicken. They fry it in that form where, as I mentioned, the Chick-fil-A is, is done a lot differently. So the Houston police, who they have their own Twitter account, y'all, it's at Houston police. They said Southeast officers are at 7100 Scott. Male pulled a gun on employees of restaurant after after they ran out of chicken sandwich 202. The number 202, which maybe that's the designation for man wielding gun angry over chicken. I don't know. It was more of an aggravated assault because he was displaying a weapon and threatening employees. And this is according to Houston police Lieutenant Larry Krausen. He was speaking to KTRK. No one was injured. Witnesses say the group left the Popeyes in a blue SUV. Uh, meanwhile, Popeyes confirmed that last week, his Popeyes Chicken Twitter account at Popeyes said uh, at Popeyes Chicken, y'all, we love that you love capitalized the sandwich. Unfortunately, we're sold out. Open parentheses for now. Close parentheses. And then they have a video here, which. You know, you got to love the social media accounts of Wendy's, McDonald's, and Popeye's. They really bring a lot of flavor to your online world. 
So this is where we are in America, where a group of people pull up in an SUV. They check in on, um, you know, the chicken sandwich availability. They want to buy sandwiches. There aren't any. So one of them pulls a gun and tries to head to the back of the store to basically, I guess he was going to verify that there weren't any sandwiches back there. Unbelievable. So, um, yeah, that's America, y'all. That, that's where we are. This, this is who we are. So now I want to launch into our second amendment report. It's Stacy on the right, and this is the second amendment report. All right, y'all. So we are back on this, uh, gun control kick after another deadly shooting over the weekend down in Texas. Um, and the news that I'm bringing to you today is that Walmart is going to stop selling short barrel rifle ammunition. They're bowing to the gun control nuts who are acting as if the only place somebody can get ammo is from Walmart, as if there's not a gun shop on every corner in America. So Walmart has announced today that they are going to stop selling handgun ammunition and short barrel rifle ammunition that can be used with here we go again with this. Uh, these are not real terms. Military style weapons. Either a weapon is approved for military use or it's not. There are no military styled weapons. All of the things we're talking about here from uh, a collapsible stock to the extra hand grip or a scope. Those are all accessories that you can purchase to go on almost any long gun. Yes, you can. If you don't believe, go on YouTube. It's right there for you. You can you can watch the videos about how you can turn any regular long gun into what they like to call the big scary military style weapon, but it doesn't change its functionality at all. It just makes it easier to hold. It just makes it easier for you to sling over your shoulder if you want to carry it through the woods. It makes it easier for you to actually target the deer or the turkey or whatever you're hunting if you're using it as a hunting rifle. This, that's what the scope is for. I know because I have one on one of the rifles that we own. Okay. Um, so Walmart is going to actually stop selling the, this ammunition. Um, they're also asking their customers at Walmart and Sam's Club all over the, the world. They're saying, please don't open carry firearms in the stores any longer where states where open carry is allowed unless you are an authorized law enforcement officer. Open carry legislation is currently on the books in more than 26 states. And Dan Bartlett, who's the executive vice president of corporate affairs for Walmart, said that um, he was actually doing a, a press availability by phone call. So a conference call with members of the media. And he made these statements. They're not going to change their policy for customers who have permits for concealed carry. So if you are concealed carry certified, you can still carry in the Walmart. Uh, they're going to add signage to stores in the coming weeks that will communicate these new changes. Shares of gun and ammunition makers are still down following the news, having already fall, uh, fallen earlier today. I'm sorry. It's like weird. My nose is itching. Um, so Vista Outdoor, their stock is down by 6%. Smith & Wesson, who they their parent company is American Outdoor Brands. Their stock is down about 2.7%. Sturm Ruger & Company shares dropped close to 1%. And Walmart shares were up less than one half of 1% following the announcement. Which, because people who are gun control nuts aren't going to go out and buy more stock in Walmart because they're bowing down to their wishes. They're just going to check that off the list and move on. We don't want Walmart to sell guns anywhere. And Walmart already has a standing policy that... Stores inside of metropolitan areas don't sell the same guns as the stores outside. You don't believe me? Look on your list of Walmarts. Just go to your Bing search engine or your DuckDuckGo, type in Walmart near me, and a list of all the Walmarts near you will pop up. Then if you like show and tell, you like to see with your own eyes, like us people here in the show me state, then you can go to the nearest Walmart to you if you live inside the metropolitan area that you live in. Go to the one nearest you and see what they're selling. They're probably only selling ammunition. And they might have some rifles, but more than likely, they're only selling ammunition, fishing rods, um, some knives or, uh, you know, maybe even some machetes. But no, they're not going to have any any long guns. But then if you look down your list and see which of them is maybe what you would consider to be the working class area that's a suburb outside of the main metropolitan area, if you drive to that one, you'll find a whole range of guns that you can purchase. 
That's how it is here in St. Louis. If you want to buy a gun at Walmart, I don't go to the one that's closest to me here. It's about five miles away from me. I have to drive down about 20 miles to go to the one that's in, in South County. And that's where we last bought, um, well, one of, one of our, one of our long guns is from there about five or six years ago, whenever the Ferguson thing was. Um, and we bought that one for home defense to kind of add to what we already had. So they're already doing things to make firearms less readily available within areas that have higher crime levels. So this is just another thing that they're going to have to do that isn't going to have an impact on crime because criminals are going to get guns, whether they can get them at Walmart or have someone straw purchase it for them because they're already criminals and they can't buy legally anyway. Or if they're going to their regular gun dealer on the street, the guy who sells you guns with the serial numbers sawed off um, or guns that he's stolen or guns that have fallen off the back of a truck someplace. Yes, this is America. You're not stopping people from getting guns by not selling guns or ammunition at Walmart. But I will say, as a public relations ploy because they've had shootings at their stores and it seems to be something that people are wanting to copycat, they can at least then say, well, we don't sell ammunition here anymore. That's that's what they're looking for is a way to kind of separate themselves from the incident that just occurred. And it's a tragedy. And I know that they're very concerned about their customers and what happened and their reputation. Um, but again, here he is. It's, this is CEO Doug McMillan, and he distributed a memo to the employees Today, he said, we believe the opportunity for someone to misinterpret a situation, even in open carry states, could lead to tragic results. We hope that everyone will understand the circumstances that led to this new policy and will respect the concerns of their fellow shoppers and our associates. We've also been listening to a lot of people inside and outside of our company as we think about the role we can play in helping to make the country safer. It's clear to us that the status quo is unacceptable. McMillan then went on to say he would be sending letters to the White House and congressional leaders asking for action on, quote, common sense measures. He's calling on the government to strengthen background checks, laws we have on the books are already adequate enough, and remove weapons from those who have been determined to pose an imminent danger. So gun confiscation, except those who are considered to be an immediate danger, you can only remove something from someone or have someone committed if they've already hurt someone. So if they're just talking about it or acting funny, you can't do anything. Adam Lanza's mom tried to get something done about him and she couldn't. She said, has he hurt anybody? No, but he says he's going to. We can't help you, ma'am. Do you remember that? So the CEO is now saying, quote, Congress and the administration should act because, you know, we got to do something. We have to do something. It doesn't matter if it's something that we're planning on doing will actually help. It's just that we need to do something. So they've faced a backlash, obviously, because of the 22 people who were killed at the Walmart in El Paso, Texas. Um, and obviously there was the Walmart shooting in Mississippi. And then there were additional threats at a handful of stores across the country. Um, people who claimed to have guns were arrested. We went down that list on the show um, in their quarterly earnings last month, they made up about 2% of the firearms market today. They're not in the top three sellers in the gun industry. And they had a 20% share in the market for ammunition. So they sell about 20% of the ammunition that's that's bought and sold in the country. Walmart said their market share of ammunition will drop to a range of around 6 to 9%, falling to the lower end of that range over time as they implement this new policy. McMillan, the CEO, said, we know that these decisions will inconvenience some of our customers and we hope they will understand. As a company, we experienced two horrific events in one week and we will never be the same. Now, they're focusing what they're going to continue to sell on the needs of hunting and sports shooting enthusiasts. He says he's a gun owner who grew up in a family that raised bird dogs. He noted that the company's founder, Sam Walton, was an avid outdoorsman who hunted quail. So they can't get away from their roots in uh, selling ammunition and being a source of, you know, outdoorsmen's, you know, basically those are their customers. They can't get away from that. Uh, But he says the remaining assortment of ammunition in the stores will include long barrel deer rifles and shotguns, the ammunition that they require, hunting and sporting accessories and apparel, 
and that the current sporting goods assessment has a broad depth of merchandise to make up for lost sales. So they've looked at their numbers. They've looked at how they can make up for this basically 50% drop in ammunition sales that they're looking at. So they were half of their 20% of the ammunition market that they owned in the U.S. Half of it was for semi-automatic handguns. The rest of it was for their hunting uh, community. So they're going to continue to cater to the hunting community and make up that other 10% someplace else in the store. I can't say I blame them, but it's not going to do anything to stop mass shootings. So, all right. We'll be back with more final segment of the show after this. Whoa, let's get crazy. In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in too. Just so you know, in real life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Jump in. Come on. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You know what really gets a party started? Indoor baseball. Yeah, just find a broom or a pool cue, and you can use, like, anything as a ball. Cans, bottles, shoes. Hey, bro, toss me that avocado. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Underage drinking and driving, the ultimate party foul. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I'm Little Teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle and here is my spout. No, that like this. When I get all steamed up, then I shout, tip. Me over it. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Roman Reigns. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man. You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Okay, kids, Dad's going to teach you how to dance. First, spread your feet apart. Then, pump your knee, nod your head, shake your hips, and bite your lip ever so slightly. Now, with one hand in the air, point at people with the other hand. I call that the rock star. Dance like a dad. It's a great way to make a moment with your kids. Now, make a face like it just smells something bad. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Hey, welcome back. Um, I, I just, I want to add, if you're wondering what all they've done so far to try to get away from this idea that Walmart is a great place for mass shootings. Back in the 1990s, Walmart stopped selling handguns in the U.S. with the exception of Alaska. In 2015, they stopped selling semi-automatic weapons such as the AR-15 rifle. Following the mass shooting in high, at a high school in Parkland, Texas in 2018, they stopped selling firearms and ammunition to people under the age of 21. And now they've also said they're pulling violent video game displays out of stores following the shootings. So they started with the handguns. Um, then they moved to AR-15s, no longer selling those. They're now pulling video game displays that are considered violent and 
They're also saying now they're not going to sell the ammunition. You see how they keep making changes to try to get people to, you know, they, we're, we're in the right here. Do you see how it's never enough? It, they can stop selling guns altogether. If someone wants to go shoot up a Walmart, um, that's what they're going to go do. And the only thing that can stop it is good guy with a gun or a change in our culture, both. So cultural changes have to occur. As long as we have a culture it says the person who pulls the trigger isn't responsible. It's the gun that's the bad guy. How can we expect anything more than people taking out their frustrations in this way? And of course, I go back to the timeline of what takes a normal person from where they are to being a mass shooter and how every one of us has a responsibility to care for our neighbors to try to ensure that that is not that timeline isn't completed. We also have a responsibility to look at our lives and see if we're contributing to this negative culture that is currently, this is our norm. Uh, and, and that's not to put blame on anyone outside of the shooter, but I'm talking about our culture. Um, the person who's responsible for a mass shooting is the one who pulls the trigger and anyone who helped him. So these straw buyers, all of that. If we would have a crackdown on straw purchasing, we would see fewer of these people going out and, well, I'm going to buy a gun for a friend. If they knew they could go to prison for the amount of time, the same amount of time as someone who uh, actually pulled the trigger for facilitating the, the gun purchase, if we sent people who dealt illegal firearms on the streets, if we sent them up the river or away or whatever your favorite euphemism for prison is for like sentences similar to the crackdowns that we've had on illegal drug sales, we would see some changes there. Because nobody wants to go to prison for their one friend who's a little on the crazy side who says he might want to do a little bit of shooting. But if you can do it and get away with a slap on the wrist, then why wouldn't you? There's no penalty. So um, I wanted to head over to the chat room really quickly and just say hi. Um, we got Smoke, Bjorn. Wow. Uh, some of our same friends, um, Melly, and it looks like I'm logged in. I'm not actually logged in over there, but okay. Um, so, and then SOTR listed 4713. Um, so they're, they're kind of chatting over this um, church sign in Birmingham that says that if you vote for President uh, for pre- President Trump, so first of all, you heard me sigh. You heard me sigh. Um, and it's not, it's not okay. It's not okay. If you're black and you're voting for President Trump, then you have brain damage. And if you're a white person and you're voting for President Trump, then it's racism. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, so this is a, the, the kind of brainwashing that we see with blacks, where black people are told that you are only allowed to think one way. You're only allowed to be in one political party. You're only allowed to even behave in one way. If you have a certain way that you present yourself that isn't in one of the acceptable modes for black people, well, then you're a traitor to your race. That's what they say all the time about black conservatives, about um, anyone, even black libertarians, anyone who's not a, you know, Democrat. So lawlessness comes out of that kind of thinking because what happens is people feel like they have the right to do things to you to uh to kill you to anything to silence you because they are so conditioned to only hearing one type of thing out of one type of person namely permanently tans you can only have one viewpoint if you don't have that viewpoint then you can be killed you can be silenced you can be shut down you can be removed as they say from the barbecue anything they want to do to you they're free to do it and what we have to do is we have to say we're we're not going to put up with that. We're not going to we're not going to be those people who accept that one man one way of thinking um is allowed and every everything else has to be ostracized and completely crushed. Um so you know church signs aside I I'm just surprised that a church would even allow that to go up outside because that that is a message they're sending out on behalf of that church. It's actually a message that they're pushing out that their church is being held accountable for. There are people who drive by and see that sign are associating that message with their church. And it's a pretty ignorant message. 
Um, so you might have heard about the scuba diving boat fire. 34 people are presumed dead. This is off of Santa Barbara, California. Um, and it was a boat packed with scuba divers. All 34 people were sleeping below deck and they're presumed dead during a Labor Day weekend expedition off the Southern California coast. They're still searching for survivors, but they're saying uh, Santa Barbara County police chief, fire police chief or fire chief. I'm sorry. He's a fire chief, not a police chief. Mark Hartwig. He told reporters that the victim's relatives will rely on us to do everything in our power to find out what happened aboard the vessel. Uh, In the last moments of these family members lives, that's our commitment. Only five crew members sleeping on the top deck were able to escape by jumping off and taking a small boat to safety. The fire that engulfed the Conception killed all 33 passengers and one crew member who was below deck. Officials have not been able to determine exactly how the fire started. The bodies of 20 victims have been recovered and divers have seen between four and six others in the sunken wreckage. Authorities are trying to stabilize the boat that sank in about 60 feet of water so that divers can recover the remains. One passenger, marine biologist and veteran diver Christy Finstad, 41, was identified in a Facebook post by her brother, Brett Harmeling of Houston. He said, please pray for my sister, uh, Christy. She was leading a dive trip on this boat. I'm kind of surprised. So obviously, I don't know much about diving, but this is interesting because I didn't know they actually did... Um you know, 40 people on a boat diving, that that's a pretty large number of people uh, on a boat. I, I know boats can be enormous. I know cruise ships carry thousands of people, but it's just interesting that they had so many people. Um, so the boat had actually left Santa Barbara Harbor on Saturday and the fire broke out at about 3 a.m. Monday while it was anchored off Santa Cruz Island about 90 miles west of Los Angeles. The crew appeared to quickly call for help. The call was garbled. It was not that clear, but we were able to get some information out of it to send vessels. Um, wow. This is an unbelievable tragedy for these people who they were just out on a boat excursion trying to do some some uh, scuba diving. Really sad to see this. Um, so that turns us to another story today. Flipping back to social media as we close out the show here. Um, Facebook is saying that they may very well remove like counts. Now, I got to tell you, um, how many people will actually go on Facebook still if there are no like counts? I'm pretty sure they've been experimenting on us already. And I'm not on Facebook anymore every day. I'm on the Facebook page every day. We live stream there every day. And I post some stories there every day. But as far as me being on Facebook, Facebook, um, I'm not on there every single day. When I say on there, I mean scrolling down, um, you know, looking at my news feed. I don't do it every day anymore because I don't have the app. And that was intentional. I wanted to cut down on the amount of time I spent on Facebook. And I wanted to intentionally not just reduce that time, but see if it would have a positive impact on my mental outlook. And I wasn't having problems, but I was definitely feeling like I spent too much time on Facebook. Well, it's true. My mental outlook is much more positive because of that. Um, and I noticed as soon as I start talking about it, I've had some latency pop up on my live stream to Facebook. Interesting. So uh, they're saying they could soon start hiding the like counter on newsfeed posts to protect users from envy and dissuade them from self-censorship. Instagram is already testing this in seven countries, including Canada and Brazil, showing a post audience to just a few names of mutual friends who've liked it instead of the total number. The idea is to prevent users from destructively comparing themselves to others and possibly feeling inadequate if their posts don't get as many likes. It could also stop users from deleting posts that they think aren't getting enough likes or sharing in the first place. (laughs) Why would Facebook be worried about that? Why don't they just let people be people? You know, toughen up, buttercup. Your post doesn't have as many likes. That has happened to all of us. Have you not gone on and posted something and um, seen that not many people responded and wondered if Facebook is censoring it? I think that's the real reason they're doing it, because they're getting accused of censorship. So Jane Manchun Wong, who's a reverse engineering master, spotted Facebook prototyping the hidden like counts in its Android app. When we asked Facebook, the company confirmed to TechCrunch that it's considering testing removal of like counts. However, it's not live for users yet. Facebook declined to share results from the Instagram like hiding tests, its exact motives, or any schedule for starting testing. 
If it does decide to go ahead with a test, Facebook would likely do so gradually and pull back if it significantly hurts usage or ad revenue. Well, I can tell you it's going to hurt ad revenue because a lot of people kind of judge by likes what they should be looking at. So they have two screen grabs. Um, one is from a user who shared. She shared on Instagram and there's a little box, you know, the info box that they drop down. It says testing a change to see how you see likes. We want your followers to focus on what you share, not how many likes your posts get. During this test, only you will be able to see the total number of likes on your post. And then you can click OK. And then if you look from someone else who's looking at her page, it's the same picture, the same post. There are no likes present. It's just five comments below. So it's already in test mode on Instagram. They will be moving into testing it on Facebook. Um, Facebook has been gradually relegated to the place for sharing showy life events like marriages or new jobs, while Instagram and Snapchat have taken over the day-to-day sharing. The problem is that so many people, many people have so many fewer of these big moments the large like counts they attract can make other users self-conscious of their own lives and content. That's all problematic for Facebook's ad views. Facebook wants to avoid scenarios such as, look how many likes they get, my life is lame in comparison, or why even share if it's not going to get as many likes as her post and people will think I'm unpopular. Now, first off, do those statements sound like the statements made by grown-ups? Because the people who are using Facebook are mainly the grown-ups. Facebook, according to my daughter, is for old people. She was like, not you, mom. You're not old, but you know what I mean. And I just looked back at her in horror because I thought, I'm old if that's the way you're talking about something that I use. <laughs> my husband just raised his eyebrow and went back to what he was doing. <laughs> Don't you love those moments with your kids where you're like, oh, I'm old. All of a sudden, I feel really old. So again, they're trying to to claw back their young their younger audience, but you can't claw back someone who's they've got their back to Facebook. They're not young people aren't looking to go back to Facebook. They're not there's nothing that's going to be like so innovative that makes them go back to it. It's in their rear view mirror and kids don't really look back anyway. So removing like counts could put less less pressure on users, encourage them to share more freely and frequently. It could also obscure Facebook's own potential decline in popularity as users switch to other apps. Posts not getting as many likes as they used to could hasten the exodus. So I agree with this writer. It could have a couple of unintended consequences. The first one could be that people don't see likes on their posts and they find it much less satisfying to post. And so because they can't see who's actually paying attention to it, they decide not to post and they move to a venue where they can see who's looking at it. For other people who don't really care who else is looking at it, they're mainly posting for their friends and family to share with people that they love. Um, and again, this is for people like, don't. I sometimes will feel a little, I don't want to say envious, but I kind of look at their their Facebook with a little bit of like, oh, that's so nice. I have some friends who they only have 450 friends on Facebook. And when I had 450 friends on Facebook, I remember almost everyone interacted with me and I interacted with a lot more people and it was much more personal. Um, now that I have 5,000, it's it's different. So we'll see. Maybe it'll go back to more of a community or maybe people will drop it all together. It's up to them because they're the ones who are in charge of this change. All right. God bless. Talk to you tomorrow.